This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Hello Girls, the podcast wholly concerned with women's underwear. Because we believe that underwear is the foundation of everything. I'm Emily Cronin. And I'm Kate Finnegan. We're both fashion journalists and in this series we rummage through the modern woman's underwear drawer, exploring what we're wearing, why we're wearing it, where it came from, and what our underwear, whether it's humble or fancy, sensible or sexy, says about who we are as women today. Today we're asking, what's sexy now? We're essentially saying, screw the male gaze. We're very much thinking about the female gaze and what we think looks good. So much of what was celebrated as body positivity in the industry was just showing plus-size girls in the same way every photo shoot. Be down with who you are. Be comfortable in your own skin. It's for you. It's not for anybody else. You honestly have to look at, you know, the past and reject it completely. So far in Hello Girls, we've got up close and personal with the push-up bra, thongs, corsets, bra fittings, and big knickers. Go back and rummage through if you've not heard those episodes yet. Today, though, we're tackling a question that's been on our minds throughout the series. What is sexy now? Oh my God, Kate, we're already doing an underwear podcast. Can't we keep it clean? I don't think we can. Because at some point when you talk about underwear, you've got to talk about sensuality, right? Underwear is pretty intimate. Okay, okay, you're right. We didn't set out wanting to go there, but some super intriguing points came up in our interviews. We started to get the idea that ideas about sexy underwear have changed. We'll get into that in a minute. But first, we've got to talk about a term that keeps coming up in our conversations, the male gaze, and its corollary, the female gaze. Quick rundown. The male gaze was a term coined by the revered British feminist film theorist, try saying that in a podcast, Laura Mulvey, way back in 1973 in an essay called Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema. She pointed out how the patriarchy has had a huge impact on society through film and that the heterosexual male view was often, or rather always, the only view with male directors and male characters and ultimately a male audience objectifying or fetishizing women in a way that affected the entire film industry and society beyond it. I mean, now we might think, no shit, Sherlock. Like, now this seems obvious. Right. But until Mulvey, no one else had brought it up or perhaps even noticed because guess what? 
the people who were in a position to notice, to criticise and theorise about films, which were of course made by men and mostly concerned men's stories, were also men. So broadly speaking, they didn't really care too much. The portrayal of women in film was simply how the world was, according to a male point of view. Mulvey pointed out that most depictions of women weren't adequate representations of women or human beings, which is pretty sobering and, again, not surprising to us now. So when we talk about the female gaze, we're talking about a situation which is the opposite, where women have agency as subjects, whether that's as the director, the character, or even the audience. When we're looking at representations of women that are authentic, like, Kate, have you heard of the Bechdel test? I sure have. Yes. So it's a test where that asks, you know, does a piece of content have one, at least two women in it who, two, talk to each other, and three, about something other than a man or a relationship? It's crazy. Does that ever happen? It, it actually <laughs> does, but not as often as you might hope. And this doesn't just apply to obscure art school films, by the way, but to the entire visual world, including advertising, which is relevant when we're thinking about underwear and how it's marketed to the women who wear it. Right. So like the 1994 Wonder Bra ad um, that we talked about in episode one, that's a prime example of the male gaze. The tagline is, hello, boys, for goodness sake. And that's incidentally why our podcast is called Hello, Girls, everybody. In case you hadn't figured it out. Kate, remember in episode one when Chelsea Matata, friend of Hello Girls, came on, what she had to say about it? Um, she's the brand strategist and creator of Nightstand Service, which is a platform all about Gen Z pleasure. And she couldn't believe that women in the 90s thought that campaign was empowering. It's so disgusting. It's so disgusting. <laughs> and it's it's almost embarrassing to think that at some point, a woman looked at that and was like, oh gosh, yeah, I need to get that same bra. Chelsea will be back here shortly with lots more to say. I mean, I don't know. I still think Wonder Bra was a bridge between the male gaze and the female gaze. Because at the time, it did feel empowering to women. Maybe not all women, but I was there. Chelsea wasn't. Sorry, Chelsea. And it was empowering, even if there was a little something in it for the men too. Ooh, okay. A little something. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, fine. But decades before that, another lingerie brand that influenced so many women and men was built around the idea of the male gaze, a concept invented ostensibly for women, but actually for men by a man. So, oh my God, I love this story. Roy Raymond opened Victoria's Secret after he felt embarrassed trying to buy lingerie for his wife in a department store. Apparently, it made him feel like a pervert, particularly as all the assistants were older women. Poor Roy. Can you imagine? So he dreamed of this store where men would feel comfortable and relaxed buying sexy underwear for women. That's right, where men would feel comfortable and relaxed. From his point of view, lingerie was for men, for men to buy, for women to wear, so that men could be essentially stimulated, shall we say. But of course, that idea never took off and we heard nothing more from Victoria's Secret ever again, did we? Lol. There's a lot more to be said about this and how Victoria's Secret came to dominate ideas of sexiness. We aren't going to get into that now, except to say, did you know that the brand's infamous or controversial fashion show, last seen in 2018 due to lots of reasons, Me Too, lack of diversity, controversial comments, and falling sales, is coming back? No. Apparently at the end of the year. Here's hoping for a special live episode and viewing party, people. Mm -hmm. I feel like you're being sarcastic, Emily. <laughs> 
But the point is, it used to be the case until more recently than we like to imagine that when it came to lingerie and pretty much everything else for that matter, that there was only one question that mattered. What does he think? But lately, we've seen another shift. One woman who's had a front row view of trends in terms of what people consider sexy is Serena Rees. The serial entrepreneur and lingerie enthusiast shared her insights. Back in the agent provocateur days, back in the 90s, we actually researched and produced a book back then. We kind of brought back glamorous idea of what was sexy, sort of celebration of femininity, which weirdly was the name of the book. And we kind of referenced the last point of a glamorous sexy as being in the 1950s. But then when you kind of look back, even, you know, the 60s was about burning your bra, the 80s was power dressing, and you know, and then up to now, it's a completely different thing. And, you know, the whole thing of objectifying women and the whole hashtag Me Too movement and everything that's sprung from that and the way everybody is behaving or thinks they have to behave or it's, it's, a, it's a really big thing to navigate and it has changed so much. I mean, I've never seen anything move so quickly, actually, as now, as to now. But I think what I've always done and what I've somehow, I don't know how or where it comes from, have some sort of skill at tapping into. Maybe it's something that I just follow and study and follow the form, if you like, or feel everything that's going on around me that makes me do the things that I do at the times that I do it. I suppose it's it's just just knowing and understanding the different elements that change people's perception and people's view on what sexy or what is the right thing, what makes us feel good or why do we want to see it in that way and how do we want to project ourselves this is about you you are the best you can ever be you yourself be down with who you are be comfortable in your own skin it's for you it's not for anybody else and so it is the same message so the brand Les Girls Les Boys and the brand Agent Provocateur if you look at what it is on paper and if you looked at the images and the, and the messaging we are saying the same thing but it doesn't look the same what was right for the 90s it's not right for now. For me, the sexiest thing, it's someone who is really okay with themselves. They're, you know, and not in a sort of big-headed, awful, big ego kind of way, but someone who's super comfortable in their own skin, inquisitive, still learning, still enjoying, and you, you can just see this spirit come through them. And to me, that is the sexiest thing. It's quite good if they're stylish as well, but, you know. <laughs> and... Their own style, even if it's off the hook and crazy and mad, they're they're in their thing. They're being them. It is it's what we were born with. It's what we've got. We don't have to pay for it. We don't have to get it from anybody else. We don't have to try and be what anyone else wants us to be. The best we can be is to be us. That for me is sexy. Lately, it seems there's been an even more compelling sea change from women trying to appeal to what men want. Apologies for being cishet normative here. This could apply to any person trying to appeal to what they think their partner wants or what their partners want. Right. So from women trying to appeal to what men want to something that's just for the enjoyment of the wearer. And if that's intimidating or even scary to whoever might contemplate it, well, tough. Here's Chelsea talking about how her favourite lingerie brand changed how she thinks about what's sexy now. 
God, we're now moving into the stage where it's very anti-sexy, anti-beauty. When I look at Savage X, for example. Savage X is anti-sexy. I what? think I think it's anti-sexy. What? Yes. So, okay, here's my theory. I think that in fashion, beauty, you name it, we're moving into this anti-beauty, anti-glamour, anti-sexy part of how we express our beauty, femininity, etc. Now, obviously, it doesn't take away from something being appealing, but we're essentially saying, screw the male gaze and let's do things that think we look good in our eyes. We're very much thinking about the female gaze and what we think looks good as opposed to what men will find particularly attractive. So, you know, example, when I go out and a girl compliments me, I'm so happy. I'm like, yes, one, I look amazing. But when a guy compliments me, you're kind of just like, oh God, he's just staring at my boobs. Like, what do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I think with the rise of social media and just the changing attitudes around how we view ourselves and express, you know, our versions of beauty, I think there's now this kind of culture of like, actually, let's now do things because we want to do them, because we feel good in them. So Savage X does that really well because... Some of their pieces, like, I know a lot of guys who are going to look at that and be like, oh, gosh, no, that's not sexy to me. And that's when I know it's working. <laughs> that's when I know it's like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely buying that because I know it looks sick. And it's just, again, that sort of mind shift of like, I'm going to get that, you know, ridiculously bright neon lace unitard to wear underneath my clothing because it makes me feel good and not because at some point when my boy comes home I need to now like do a show for him it's actually about me doing the show for myself in the mirror whilst I sing along to Lizzo or something I think there's some pieces definitely from the Savage X collection that when I put on I just feel unstoppable and it's that idea about feeling really really powerful and that's the message that they have throughout their show they had this lovely poem in their volume two show introduction where the girl essentially says that, you know, she's a savage, she's a beast. And that's how I want to feel as a young woman in this world. I don't want to be approachable. I don't want to be like a person a man looks at and is like, oh yeah, like she seems approachable and cool and nice. No, be scared of me. And when you do approach me, come with some, you know, cojones, like, <laughs> you know, really. And I, and that's how I like to present in the world because that's the people that I look up to present in the world. Rihanna does not seem like an approachable woman. Love, I'm sure, lovely, I mean, approachable to women and absolutely lovely to women. But when it comes to men, if I was a guy, I'd be terrified. And that's the same impact that I want. It's my gladiator costume. It really is. I do think there is a right way for brands to connect with youth culture and whoever their audiences are. And I think that the messaging behind, let's say, the Hello Boys Wonder Bra campaign to Savage X has a huge impact on how people think about themselves and how they move through the world. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Kate, the other person this came up with was Michaela Stark. Yes, the corset artist. I love her. She told us in a few different ways, actually, that her experience of wearing her designs was empowering. Sorry, sorry, band word. Sorry, I don't like that word because I I think empowering is one of those words that's used everywhere so much that it's actually meaningless. It means nothing. You're right. But her designs give her strength and confidence and um, a kind of different power in the world, I think. And she doesn't care what people think. But let's hear from her again. I think it's funny because nowadays it could almost see sometimes as going against the grain because corsetry is sort of underwear. It could see these scenes sometimes it's wrong going out wearing underwear and then women are still choosing to do that wearing a corset. Do you know what I mean? It's like it seems a bit bimbo core, a bit like um, um, slutty. <laughs> and it's in the same way that sort of being a bit of a slut can... Oh, God. So it's reclaiming, reclaiming, <laughs> reclaiming, reclaiming sexuality, sexuality. Exactly. on your body. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I get that. I want to make the viewer sort of question the whole understanding of beauty. I think what I really love is when people look at my work and they're sort of shocked and and find it very beautiful, and then they second guess it and they're like, "Why do I find that beautiful? Like that's." sort of all the things that I thought were really ugly about the body. And I love it when that happens. And I think that from that reaction or from that sort of experience in looking at my work, there can be two different reactions. And one of them is to either go full hate and it's like, this is disgusting. I hate this. Like, what are you doing to the body? And then the other is is for people to embrace it. Um, and I get very, like, totally different responses to my work very often. But it's really fun to feel like I've challenged that perception of beauty and I've created maybe an inner dialogue in someone who's looking at it to sort of question why they find that beautiful or why they find that delicate or feminine when it's literally the opposite of what everything they've been taught is delicate and feminine or beautiful. But that's why it's really important for me to make work that is beautiful, does feel like a fantasy and does feel very delicate no matter what size the body is that I'm working with, no matter what's happening to the body in that moment, um, even if I'm like sort of binding the body and everything's falling out of it and it looks very almost painful, it still has that era of fantasy and beauty. And that's, I think, what makes it kind of challenging to look at or that makes it just challenging in general or provocative. Yeah, that's what I, I like. I like Great that. answer. <laughs> I find it thrilling to look at it and say, you know, that's elevating or glorifying something that happens or amplifying something that happens anyway mm-hmm. to me. And it, it's it's exciting to see that sort of given the high fashion treatment as opposed to, you know, a flat tummy and like 
a thong string. And yeah, when you see those like rolls of fat that have been bound, and you're like, that's really beautiful, and you just keep on looking at it, it just gives you so much, doesn't it? There's like this architecture of beauty that is kind of suddenly presented to you in a different way. Right. And I find that really fun to play with. I feel like um, obviously there's a lot of talk now about the fashion industry going back to size zero and going Mm. back to like the uber thin after we've just had this whole wave of body positivity and so many conversations about it. And I think the reason for it, and I'm not saying it's right, but I think in some own self-reflection that I've done, the reason for it is that so much of what was celebrated as body positivity in the industry um, during the whole wave of it was just showing sort of plus-size girls in a in the same way every photo shoot. And that way was very natural, very toned back, wearing like skin-toned bodysuits and like very like muted makeup. And I think, well, that was good and that had definitely a moment in fashion history it's very easy to see why the fashion industry has moved beyond that because the fashion industry at the end of the day is about selling fantasy. And a lot of people enter into the industry. The people who are behind these campaigns and editorials and everything are in it because they're trying to create art that takes you out of the real world and takes you into this fantasy moment. And that's what people in the industry love doing, I think. And so it's very easy to see why that moment of body positivity has sort of almost, it feels like being a bit forgotten and the industry is going back to that uber thin. But I also think it's great to see artists, not just me, but there's a, there's other artists who are still working to show that different body shapes can be a fantasy and can be as beautiful as just the one that we have known in fashion for like the past 50 years or whatever. And not only that, but that there's not only one type of beauty and there's not only one type of, of fantasy and it, and it can encapsulate so much more and be so much more interesting than how it's been projected in magazines up until now. And I think that's really exciting. So Michaela is all about putting herself first and being frank with how she presents her body. And Chelsea wants to intimidate men, which I really like. That actually reminds me of something really highbrow. Uh-oh. We've done quite a lot of highbrow in this episode, Emily. What are you going to hit me with that? Well, did you see the cinematic masterpiece that was Shotgun Wedding? <laughs> no. Okay, obviously it was terrible. If you didn't see it, uh, the main thing you need to know is that the bus ad gives away the whole plot. It's a J-Lo vehicle that revolves around J-Lo's wedding dress getting more and more disheveled and hotter as pirates try to disrupt her wedding to Josh Duhamel. And Lenny Kravitz is a goodie or a baddie. It's hard to tell, but his shirt is up button. Anyway, oh. that's the movie. Okay. I love how she's getting hotter through the movie. She, Of course she is. She's <laughs> J-Lo. But um, there is one part near the end that I sort of like sat up and took notice of. So the best man and the sister have been taken hostage with a group of what? I'm sorry, this is way more information than you want about this. <laughs> anyway, they've had a one night stand. Of course. Yeah. And she's now like disgusted by him. And he says some throwaway line about like, you know, I'm just trying to be close to you, even though you scare me. And she kind of perks up. She says, I scare you. And he looks at her and really sort of in a, in a, smoldering way says you terrify me and then they make out and they kiss right yeah yeah because um 
clearly scariness is like seduction goals. Apparently. <laughs> Let's hear from Chelsea again. So what's next for lingerie and how do they attract Gen Z? I think the first thing that lingerie brands need to understand is that Gen Z are anti-male gays. So in your messaging, in your branding, you honestly have to look at, you know, the past and reject it completely. Instead of putting, you know, push-up bras on every person that you can find, put a push-up bra on someone that you wouldn't expect to see wearing a push-up bra on the campaign. Really look into the diversity of your models and not only tick boxing. Don't get the blonde one, the black one, the ginger one. No, <laughs> you know, look into how is sexuality actually expressed within Gen Z. More Gen Z are getting into throuples than ever before. More Gen Z are conscious of their sexuality, but don't feel the need to always express it all the time. So how do you appeal to a group who don't necessarily put their cards on the table in that way look into how gen z like dress overall can you turn your lingerie into something that's wearable outside we don't only want to buy something especially if it's got a higher price point which most lingerie brands do it's got a higher price point how can you turn that corset or bra or whatever it is into something that can be worn outside through your campaigns, express that. And also when it comes to working with influencers and so on, again, look into the diversity. Don't only tick box. Let's look into the trans community. Let's look deeper into the kind of intersections of like maybe like black men who wear lingerie. I'm sure there are plenty. What does the lingerie scene look like for gay men? Like, that is more fun. That is more interesting. Where can we mix that into together? Because I'm sure there are women who, who like to wear boxes instead of thongs, but still feel sexy. So yes, I think that that is the best way for brands to work and look into Gen Z and youth culture. It's really about finding those intersections within community. You don't have to represent everybody, but make sure you're being intentional with who you're deciding when it comes to influencers, etc. So are you as well as being a Savage X admirer, are you a Savage X shopper? I definitely am a Savage X shopper. And okay, I have to, let me go into a little personal story. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> there was, I think it was what, 2021, the summer of 2021, I broke up with my toxic ex. And the thing is, because you know how toxic exes go, you'll be with them until like the very end. It was one of those. I was like, I just love him so much. He's so amazing. So stupid <laughs> and I had just got my new order of Savage X that day and he was supposed to be coming over to you know say sorry again you know for whatever he did again and I was in a mindset at that time maybe it was just pandemic craziness but I was just taking him back all the time yeah sure etc but the Savage X thing came just before he was about to knock on my door about 10 minutes before I see, like, it was a massive order as well. I got the corsets, the, you know, matching, like, there was a dark green matching set. It was amazing. And I'm looking at it. I'm trying it on. He knocks on the door. I put my coat on because he didn't deserve to see it. <laughs> I open the door and he's like, you know, Chelsea, you know, I've missed you so much. And I'm looking at him. And all I could think is, 
he does not deserve to see my savage ex. Like, because <laughs> I'd spent a lot of money. I mean, I'd got the deal because they do, you know, 25% off every so often. But still, I've invested money and time into this. I'm wearing my savage ex. I, ha- I just had savage ex on the TV whilst I was trying it on, you know, to really create an ambiance. <laughs> and now he's in front of my door talking, oh, Chelsea, I'm sorry. I thought, hell no, you're not coming into my house. <laughs> you're, not, you're not coming into my house. I'm wearing my Savage X. I look great. And there was a party that night as well. So I was like, you know what? We're not doing this. I need to be the Savage X girl. I need to be the Savage. And I just, at that point, I was just like, you know what? I'm done. That's good. Broke up with him for good. Never saw him again. And I remember closing that door, like taking my coat off putting on the music of the show and just feeling so good about myself and got ready for the rest of the day. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I'm really glad that Chelsea feels like that having lived with Savage Times 20 for a few years. Um, it's I, heartening that she does, isn't it? It's brilliant. It, there's just, she, everything she says about it kind of brings me a lot of a lot of joy. Um, and, and she's very funny as well. But when I, I posted something on Instagram or I wrote something that was pretty positive about the Savage shows and I said it appealed to everyone and a woman um, who followed me messaged me to say, actually the swearing, like the, the swearing that's in, in, in the videos and what they saw as sort of overt sexual behaviour didn't appeal to her. And I had to say, well, you know, valid point. You can't appeal to everyone in terms of sexy, right? I mean, honestly, I was pretty offended by the mullets in the last one. That yeah, was a, I mean, that a was real bad. problem that for me. <laughs> but you're right. Like, I, you, you can't appeal to everyone. Sexiness is subjective. Like, on the one hand, it's something that's dictated externally. From the media, you know, putting, like, if we think back to the days of Page Three Girls, like, that was supposed to be sexy, right? Yeah, that male gaze. Male gaze, there we go. But it's also something that's personal and private. And because we all have our turn-ons and turn-offs. Right, and not everyone, you know, subscribes to a specific vision of what that could be. And, And sexiness is definitely not a monolith. It's not something that a generation views as a thing. No, not everyone in Gen Z is going to say the same thing as sexy as, as Chelsea is. But I do love Chelsea's viewpoint and I think it's fresh and new. I like the idea of 
um, wanting to be intimidating and scary. <laughs> yeah, I aspire to that. Let's let's thank you, Chelsea. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the first series of Hello Girls. Bringing you these episodes has been a fascinating experience, right, Kate? Oh my god, it's been the best. We've explored so many different garments, found out about their history and their functionality, and we've met so many interesting people, so many interesting women, all the people that we've met, like Valerie Steele. Yeah, was was she she? your favorite? Like, what's been your favorite moment? Valerie was a a great moment because I could just listen to her all day. She was the professor from FIT in New York. and She really uh, kept us on our toes. She did. (laughs) I loved, there are so many moments that I enjoyed, but the first interview that we did for this series was actually Sarah Shotton and hearing about her sewing fluff onto her Wonder Bra to go clubbing when I was like, that's when I was like, right, this is going to work. Yeah, Sarah was brilliant. Yeah, she came, that was amazing that she came in in January and she um, sat down. We didn't know how this was going to pan out and she just entertained us so much and brought us right back to the 90s, um, which I particularly love. But then I'd love, I love meeting Chelsea Matada, who's such a force and I think someone to watch in the future. And Michaela Stark, who showed up wearing a satin garter belt as a bra over her polo neck. Yeah, and we both wanted to copy her. We did. <laughs> and then there was Clemmy who let oh, us into Clemmy who let us into the changing room with us for that really personal moment where she put on a bra for the first time in 10 years. And so many people, Emily, have said that they cried when they heard that episode. If you haven't heard it, listen listen now. Go it, back and listen. Yes, it's a good one. Thank you, Clemmy, And thank you to everyone who gave their time and shared their insights this series. And thanks to our brilliant female producers and to all of you for listening, listening to us pursue our curiosity. In underwear. In underwear. This, um, underwear is the foundation of everything, right, Emily? That's what we like to say. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Please let us know what you thought of all the episodes and what you'd like to hear next. I've been Emily Cronin. And I've been Kate Finnegan. Still am. And we are Hello Hello Girls. Hello Girls was written and presented by Emily Cronin and Kate Finnegan. The producer was Kasia Tomashevich. With music and audio production by me, Jay Bailey. The lead producer is Anne-Marie Luff. The group editor is Andrew Harrison, with artwork by James Parrott. Hello Girls is a Podmasters production. <laughs>